Welcome to Word is Truth. We're uh, continuing where we left off. This is Doug Presley, and it is 3-7-2021. We're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. And here we have the thought of the week. But before I give the thought of the week, I just want to make a comment that we have, as a church, have basically looked at salvation by grace from every angle that exists. We've looked at what it is and what it is not. We know that personal sin is not an issue in salvation from 1 John 2.2, that he is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. We know that no one is justified by work, um, not, no deeds done in righteousness um, cause us to be saved. And we know from Romans 3 that there are none who do good, not even one, and no one seeks after God. So certainly we've looked at quite a bit of these things, and uh, I just wanted to mention those before I read the matter of salvation from the thought of the week. Amen. So, the matter of salvation. Now it is time to put it all together. We know the bad news, and we have seen what God has done to counter it with the good news. So that we are clear, we need to know exactly how to receive this grace salvation. As we have seen, how we receive the gift of God may not be so important to us, but it is especially important to God. In Adam, we do not have perfect righteousness to guard, but God does. Also, we must consider the enemy of God, Satan. He is busy trying to his best to obstruct God's plan, especially as it relates to salvation by grace. He does not have the power to corrupt our, quote-unquote, so great salvation, so he tries to twist, distort, and hide it from mankind. In reference to Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. When it comes to salvation, which is free, a gift by grace, not of ourselves and not of works, then the only point to distort would be in how we receive it. I can say that I can clearly see the work of Satan in this world as it relates to salvation. Just look around for yourself. There are so many voices out there telling us how to be saved. Each one has their own criteria for what they think it takes to be saved, from baptism to keeping the law. Many are proud of their adoption of grace scriptures and how they insist they are not doing work when they are clearly attempting to do work for salvation. When this is pointed out to them, they may react with frustration or anger. How dare we suggest they are not following the scriptures? We must develop tolerance for this, because with such diversity of thought around this subject, we should know everyone cannot be right. Opening our view of this important matter to inspection should not hurt our feelings. We must hear from God that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, taken 
2 Timothy 3.16. If we are wrong about our approach to receiving salvation, it is better to know this now and stand corrected rather than stubbornly insisting on our own way. And that is the thought of the week. And I'll turn it over to Brad or Para. At this time, uh, uh, I'd like to know, are there a prayer request? Uh, just for the uh, families that are mourning loss, grieving at this hour. Okay, at this time, let us lift our hearts, our minds toward our Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is certainly a pleasure and an opportunity, Lord, to have this time to come apart, Lord, and worship you. Thanking you, Lord, for all the many great and marvelous blessings, Lord, that you have provided for us up to this very point for every member of this church and their families. Asking, Lord, that you will continue, Lord, to bless the word is truth, church, that we might undertake and understand the mission uh, why we exist uh, is to spread this message of salvation to a dying world. And through God the Holy Spirit, we might sink our wills and our efforts with God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, so that this may be accomplished for every soul that desires to get this free grace message that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has delivered so perfectly for all mankind. Asking, Lord, that you watch over each one of our families, far-reaching, that you might continue to bless us and keep us as we are still in the midst of COVID and all the things that are going on in this devil's world. Protect us and keep us, Heavenly Father, in your will. And Heavenly Father, we're asking that you would continue to watch over us, keep us, and bless us as a unit. And anybody that hears this message, that they might be inspired by our God, the Holy Spirit, and to listen to this message of truth and accept it, Lord, in their hearts. These things we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who paid it all for us. In Christ's name, amen. 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 Thank you amen. so much, Fred. And Dwight, for... Uh, those words. We appreciate that. Uh, we're going to move forward in our uh, quest for John chapter 15. We're just about finished these last two verses we have before us. And hopefully you have notes. And in your notes, we're going to try to look at these verses. Uh, when the Advocate comes... Whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. 
and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Another testimony of the persistent context. This verse is evidence that Jesus is introducing something that would be a game changer. The expectation of the spirit of truth must become prominent in the minds of these very Jewish disciples. The new dynamics of the spiritual life would be coming soon. I am glad the disciples caught on and prepared themselves for this new revelation. Unfortunately, today, many have not understood the focus of these pivotal chapters. The coming of the Spirit of Truth at Pentecost has been more of an emotional experience than that, quote, much more revelation the Lord wanted to reveal. Thankfully, the Father's eternal purpose continues to move forward, and one day we will realize that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That comes from Romans 8, 18. So, we have a couple verses before us, and as uh, we normally like to do, let's just dig right in, because I'm sure we're going to be pushing against the clock later. So let's do it. Uh, so the first thought is, when the advocate comes, whom I will send from my father, from the father. I wanted to, and I know we probably did this before in chapter 14, but I wanted to make sure we had a good definition of who this advocate was in the Greek. It's a familiar term you probably have heard, parakletos. It is God the Holy Spirit that Jesus is referencing here. And what does parakletos mean? It's an intercessor, a consoler, advocate a comforter, according to Strong. <clears throat> so, in all of those definitions, we can certainly see where advocate and comforter are um, referenced. So, next point is that the coming of the Spirit will bring more new revelation. This should be our expectation, according to Jesus, as, as we look at uh, John chapter 16 and verse 12. Um, this, I know you've read this before, uh, but we want to just reference it because it's important to our conversation. It says, I have, verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear uh, or handle. So they, they can't handle much more because, one, they were very Jewish. Right? Uh, for Jesus to upset their apple cart uh would be too much for them to handle. He had to give it to them uh, in, you know, where they could understand. The Holy Spirit would come, a new dispensation would dawn, and the disciples would have a, a better understanding of what Jesus was, was saying. And many times Jesus said, I tell you now so that when the Spirit does come, you'll know what I was talking about more later. So, but... Verse 13, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So this was, it should have been an expectation. It's interesting that when I look at a verse like this, uh, you know, you would think that it would have much expectation, that it would inspire in people 
the oh, what is this that Jesus is talking about? This is something that is going to be exciting. That's coming. The Holy Spirit's coming. When is he coming? Right. Uh, all of that happened very quick to the disciples. And I'm hoping, just like, you know, the disciples did understand. They eventually did get it, because we wouldn't be here if they didn't. That um, I would hope the, the rest of the Christian world begins to look at these verses in a new light as well. Maybe we can help with that if they don't. So this expectation shouldn't be ours alone. It, this is the message right, that God is doing a, a new work in the church. Let's move forward. Point C, logically, this new revelation should be what he began to build on or in the context, then promised to share more when the Spirit comes. So this, this goes back to the previous chapter, 14, where he talked about it. Uh, look at, I mean, he started dealing with it when, you know, he told the disciples not to let their hearts be troubled. He has to go away. And him going away is a part of uh, him having to send the Holy Spirit. The Father would send the Holy Spirit in his name. So it hinged on him leaving. The disciples were upset about it, but they really didn't know the plan. So Jesus begins to lay it out for them. I would go all the way back to John 14, 7. If you really knew, know me, you will know my Father as well. And then he says this, From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Of course, he knew this would prompt a question from Philip. So what does Philip say? Lord, uh, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. In other words, we'll be satisfied if you just show us this Father. We, we haven't seen him. So uh, this is where Jesus begins to really deal with this new spiritual dynamic that will be going on in each person who is in the church age. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Right? How can you say that? You are looking in my eyes, and the Father is in me. Don't you get it? Uh, verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? See, none of this is information that happened in Israel. Jesus is revealing information that is unprecedented here. I don't know. People read the New Testament and they think, okay, this is just normal language. It's not normal. <laughs> the Jews reacted to this language uh, violently. And we, we should know that when Jesus spoke these words, these were not easy on the disciples' ears. I can imagine their brows were wrinkled and they you know they had these puzzled look on their faces like we know this is the Christ but why is he saying these weird things so you, you just have to know that the, the, this is not a common dynamic going on in Israel Jesus says the words I say to you I speak uh, I do not speak on my own authority rather it is the father living in me who is doing the work. And then verse 11, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. 
believe me when I tell you that. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. In other words, you know I've been doing these uh, miraculous signs, wonders, and miracles. You know something is different about me. Even if you don't understand the fullness of it. At least know that what I'm telling you is the reasoning behind it. So, and he goes on throughout this chapter. And then when he gets down to uh, the whole thing. Right. I don't want to just short it, but we just don't want to have time to read every part. We've gone over it in, t- in detail. So, and he says, verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. When he says to help you, he, they need help. They, they, they don't understand this new dynamic. But the Spirit, was gonna, when he comes... This is what we were just saying earlier. When the advocate comes, whom I will send and follow, this is when they will really get the understanding. They will begin, because right now they don't have the capacity or uh, the capability to understand. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will help with that. He will be our intelligence into these spiritual matters that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. How could they understand such things? In verse 17, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. When will he be in you? Pentecost. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. Where will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you will also live on it. All of this is language that is not uh, a part of Israel. This is the foundation of the church, the foundation of our spiritual life. Dynamics that never happened before. On that day you will realize that I am in the Father. You are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. One who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will show, will love them and show myself to them. These are dynamics that only happen in the church age. Nothing of this has ever been mentioned prior. And it goes on. I mean, you could read the rest. I'll jump down to verse 26. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. There it is. He will, he will make it clear. Notice the scope of his teaching, all things. What did Jesus say? I got much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. And he will remind you of everything I have said to you. See, so what, what Jesus said to them laid the foundation for what the Holy Spirit would come and continue to build on. And, and that's the point here. Uh, so logically, you should you should have figured this. And you know, I read a lot of commentaries, and unfortunately, this is these are dots that they do not connect. Right, the fact that Jesus is laying this foundation and talking about some dynamic things, and then those dynamic things are, he says, will be extended to those disciples. Yeah, he, he'll be in them. The Father will be in them, and they will be in the Father, and in Christ. Uh, These are unprecedented, but for some reason, people think when they get to chapter 15, oh, we got a whole other subject. But no, it's the same discourse, and uh, what we find is that 
it's like we said earlier, it, it is a persistent context. Even though Jesus begins to use analogies and metaphors uh, to, to try to explain more in terms of what uh, would be the norm in the church age. So, point D in our notes, 1D, the advocate will come uh, from the Father on behalf of Jesus. And this is what Jesus says in our first phrase, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. So, is who's sending the, the Holy Spirit? Is it Jesus or is it the Father? So, I'm trying to give just a summary or simplify what Jesus is saying here. He says, the advocate will come from the Father on behalf of Jesus. There's a couple of verses that make that clear. John 14, 26. Uh, let's see. 14, 16, rather. Here it is, said, said another way. And I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate. So the Father sent him to help you and be with you forever. Spirit of truth, world cannot see. And then 26, um, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, notice, in my name. So it's, Jesus is the one who, who wants to send the Spirit, another counselor, another comforter. But the Father will send him in the name of Jesus. That's how the Holy Spirit comes to us at Pentecost and begins this new dispensation. Now notice, it is the Father sending them. It is really the same plan, which is the Father's eternal purpose. So let's continue in our notes. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father. This is point number two, the Spirit of Truth. It goes out from the Father. So the names of God the Holy Spirit are descriptive of his work. We should know that, right? Advocate, Spirit of Truth, uh, right? Spirit of Christ. You know, we find these uh, titles given to the Holy Spirit. And uh, they're very descriptive. And unfortunately, the world hasn't looked at the Holy Spirit Maybe it's what they did with the King James. They called them the Holy Ghost. And then people have this air of mysterious behavior, right? And then there's this God moves in mysterious ways. We don't know. You know, people start talking about the Holy Ghost. Their eyes get big and maybe they, you know, get this, you know, emotional twinge. But none of that is what Jesus is saying about the Holy Spirit. Where do we get all that from? Where we should, what we should get is what Jesus said would happen when the Spirit of Truth comes. Listen to who his names are descriptive of what he's about. He's about truth. It's not about emotion. He's, he's somebody who's an advocate. He's going to come alongside. He's going to defend. He's going to intercede for us. He's all of those things. He's going to be our advocate. He's, he, he's gonna, when we don't know what we ought to pray for because we are weak, Holy Spirit comes, he's inside of us, and he represents us to the Father. And this, these are parts of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. Not, that doesn't have to do with emotion. Now, I'm not saying you can't be emotional. You might think I'm trying to downplay emotion. I'm trying to put emotion where it belongs in the scenario here. 
right? the, the spirit of truth, the advocate, none of that sounds emotional. Jesus is not painting an emotional picture. He's painting one of information that has to be disseminated. And the Holy Spirit is the medium of communication. He's the one who will guide you into all truth. I got much more to tell you, but I'm going to defer to the Holy Spirit. He's going to, he's going to take from what is mine. He's going to make it known to you. All that I have received comes from the Father. Yeah, these are the ways that Christ is introducing this new dispensation. So we have to reject the ways that man has interpreted and, in, and put emotion in where I don't see emotion being a part of it, at least not from Jesus' perspective. Look at the names of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? An intercessor, a consoler, an advocate, a comforter. All of those things speak of the Holy Spirit partnering with us, coming inside, and giving us the capabilities, the knowledge, the wisdom, the love, all of the things that uh, the suppression of the sin nature where he will fight for us. All the things we need in order to live as those in Christ on the battlefield. So, point B, the fact is, the Spirit of Truth does not show up randomly. And this is important because He comes as a part of the Father's plan. He comes according to His eternal purpose that He has accomplished in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 3.11. That's, that's how He comes. That's the reason why the Holy Spirit comes, because it was a part of the Father's eternal purpose. If the Spirit had not come then there could not be those many sons that God is bringing into glory. There could not be those many, uh, uh, those who are chosen to be conformed into the very image of his son. That couldn't have happened without the coming of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just Jesus' thought, hey, you know what, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. It, it's, it was part of the overall plan from before time began. That's how we should see. It's not some random act. That, you know, I think I'm leaving. So, you know what? I think the disciples are going to need comfort. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the comforter. And he's going to stop, you know, dry your tears. He's going to pat you on the head. He, he pat you on the back. He's going to make you feel good. That's not it at all. That's not the, why the Holy Spirit came. And the ministries of the Holy Spirit especially the ministry of the baptism of the Spirit, is what identifies us with Christ and allows for us to be conformed into his image. Very important ways to think about such things. So, on to our next thought, right? Um, and there's just one point to note um, as we... Hold on. Yeah, there's one point to note here. So when I quote a lot of these scriptures, I just want to make sure you probably wonder, why do I quote scriptures the way I do? In terms of uh, literally, um, if, if there is an opportunity to use the very words of God, that's what we should be using. I could, in a lot of situations, we could use our own words. We could paraphrase and put our own words. But you know what I like? What words I like the best? 
I like God's words. So whenever I have opportunity to put God's, quote, God's word or, you know, something that directly applies or speaks to us, I use that. I think it's important that we do. And uh, so I'm hoping that is something you adopt as well. And people will be arguing with you about the very words of God that you use, which is ironic for people who claim to love God. So point C, whenever we hear new revelation, right, this is, we should ask, this is how we evaluate new revelation. What is new or different from what we have already had? I, if somebody says this is new revelation, I, I, man, this is something you never heard before. Well, then tell me what's new about it. Let's hear it. I want to know, why do you think this is new? And, I should add, what is um, prompting someone to say this is new? What is it really revelation or illumination? So, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 tell us of things that are going to be new. I'm just going to turn. I know we know these verses. We can quote them. However, as it is written, no eye has seen what no ear has heard and what no mind, no human mind has conceived. Is this new? I think so. I think this qualifies. These things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. So when we talk about what the spirit is bringing, the much more Jesus was talking about, uh, we see the language here of 1 Corinthians where eye hasn't seen it, ear hasn't, neither has it entered into the heart of man. In other words, we haven't even conceived of it. We haven't thought of it. But this is what the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So when the Holy Spirit comes and he guides us in all truth, he's gotten us into the deep things of God. And this is part of our calling as well. And then if we look at Ephesians uh, 3.18, I want to go there. Uh, Ephesians 3 and 18. It says that we may have power together with all the Lord's people, notice, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So what do we have to do in this? What is what we need? We need to have power to grasp this. How wide and long and high and deep is the dimensions of what we have, the treasures, the wisdom, the knowledge that are in Christ. The plan of the eternal purpose of the Father. This is the all, all of what God the Father planned. But how are we going to understand? Because it's beyond us. Well, God the Holy Spirit, he will lead and guide us into all truth. He will extend our capabilities of understanding. He will, will, will augment our wisdom and knowledge when it comes to what we have been called to and who we are in Christ. So it is important for us to depend on God, the Holy Spirit. We're not looking to a human means to be able to understand the things that God has revealed. We have to have the ministry of the Holy Spirit in order to understand the things that God has provided for us. It's essential 
that we get that. Uh, so then, I, which I didn't really put here, but all of the passages that talk about the mystery, wow, that perfectly fits. Jesus says, I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. So what do we see that is revealed in the New Testament is the mystery. Well, what's the mystery? Something that was not revealed in the Old Testament was hid in God. No angel knew it. No uh, person in the Old Testament knew it. Uh, whether they're a believer or unbeliever, it just was not revealed to anybody. It was held. And Paul uses the metaphor, mystery. It was a mystery. But now it's revealed. That fits what Jesus is saying perfectly. He says, it's got much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. And sure enough, what's new, what's, what's new about this revelation? It was hid in God, and now it is going to be revealed. So the disciples should have been uh, expecting something great, but they couldn't possibly know what it was. I mean, all they got was a taste of it, and that was enough to furrow their brows. So let's keep going. Right? This is this is this this is where the significance of the new age is. It's about this new revelation. Right? It's new. Point three. He will testify about me. And this he is God the Holy Spirit when he comes. And he will testify about me. The me is Jesus Christ. So to testify. Uh, another Greek word that you probably do know, martyreo. And this is the word where we get the word martyr. Uh, so what does it mean in, in, in the Greek? It means to be a witness. That is to testify, uh, to charge, to give, bear record, have, obtain a good, honest report, be well reported of. Testify. Get, these are all ways that the word martyreo is used. And this is according to Strong. So, uh, point B, the Spirit of Truth will testify, give witness, right, to bear record of, give a good report of Christ. And so, th that is, he will testify about Christ. With that title, meaning Spirit of Truth, there will be truth revealed. Right? That's what we should expect. The Spirit will testify to the disciples about Jesus. And that's what he's saying. He will testify about me. When will that be? Well, it's going to be at Pentecost. That's when he will testify about Christ. And who's he going to testify to? To the disciples. That's just putting things in context so we can know how to look at these verses. So the spirit of truth is going to come. He's going to reveal uh, that much more truth and lead and guide the disciples into all truth. Now, of course, a lot of this depends on the relationship that the disciples have with the Holy Spirit. And we know that... Uh, when we are being empowered by him or we're walking in truth or we have a mind set on the spirit or like it says in first john if we walk in the light as he is in the light there are ways that we can talk about our yieldedness to the holy spirit 
Well, all of that will be dependent on what happens or how far the Spirit is able to lead and guide us. He doesn't supersede our will. He augments it. But he won't go beyond. If we say no, then God the Holy Spirit can't reveal to us the things that he would. So we want to be cooperative, yielding, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. I mean, if he's if somebody's leading you somewhere you never have seen, you don't know, how can you make judgments about where you're going? You have to just have the humility to allow the Holy Spirit to to take you places you've never seen. Now, think about that in terms of the Jewish culture and the Jewish mind. I mean, they were fixated on the law and what God's will was. And and if you want to know God, then you better know his law and all of these things. Well, Jesus changed a lot of that when he had to deal with the beginning of the foundation of the church. And in Christ, there is no Jew. There is no Gentile. Imagine that. There's no Jew, no Gentile in Christ. That's profound. That never existed. And to say there's no Jew or Gentile in Christ is, I mean, that's all they knew was to be a Jew. And they understood what it was to be a Gentile. And now... This is what we call a game changer. So this is why the information, you know, from Pentecost on, it has it, it has changed the landscape. So Spirit of Truth will testify about Christ. With that title, we, there will be truth revealed. We should expect that there's going to be something different. The Spirit will testify to the disciples about Jesus. Point C, the problem religious leaders had was they hated Jesus. That's, that was the problem. And one, remember, we, we saw last time, oh, there was a couple of times where Jesus says, not only would the world hate me, uh, but remember it hated me first, don't be surprised. And, and then it talks about those religious leaders who hated him, didn't even have a good reason for hating him. But some of the reasoning they had was they wanted to keep power. They didn't want to upset their apple cart. Whatever little power Rome would give them, they wanted to keep that. Even in the face of the Messiah coming, the one who fulfilled all the prophecies and uh, that was in the books, they were the very scrolls they were reading. So they hated Jesus. They hated him no matter what. He, the more works he did, the more they hated him. You think, well, the more works he did, they may, they, maybe they'll come around. Because I never saw him raise the dead. But no, what do they see? They get together and they have a meeting and they decide we have to kill him. Openly. This is it. Now we're going to send people out to kill Jesus. Right? But Jesus came in the name of the Father. This is what he said in John 15, 23. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. They didn't know they were shooting themselves in the foot trying to serve God. You would imagine, this is literally how Christ got to be on the cross. This is how it worked out, is they got him before Pilate on trumped-up charges, and Pilate even said, I don't find any problem with this man. Let him go. 
They said, no, don't let him go. Crucify him. And so when, uh, you know, they went back and forth and back and forth. Finally, Pilate said, that's it. I'm washing my hands of this. I mean, if you want to go ahead and crucify him, it's on you. It's not on me. Uh, it was on YouTube, Pilate. But anyway, these are the people... This is what it says in John 16, too. He says, those, Jesus is warning the disciples, those who kill you will think that they are doing God's service. They're doing God's will. And, but this is, they'll do this because they have not known me nor my father, Jesus is saying. That's why these religious people are doing these things. Whoever hates me hates my father's well. That's the circumstance. That's the consequence from hating Jesus. They are separating themselves from the father. Point D. What will the spirit of truth testify? What will he testify? When it says he will testify about me, let's just get some clear understanding of what it is. He will give you the much more information that Jesus did not finish. When John 16, 12 comes and we read that, we should know that Jesus is saying, got much more to tell you. I'm not finished telling you all that I need to tell you. That's what it says. I have much more to say to you. Not just a little bit more. I've told you. He didn't say, I, I told you most of it. I just got a little bit more to tell you. No, I told you a little bit of it. And I got much more to tell you. More than you can now, at this time, in the way you're fixed, more, that you can understand or bear or handle. So, this, you know, when you think about it, this is what he came to testify. When it says, and he must test, he will testify about me. Well, that's, he's going to finish that. He's going to fill in the, the gap of information that uh, we need. In fact, that is the literal word of Paul in Colossians. I'm going to have to turn to it. It's not in your notes. Colossians chapter 1. Literally what Paul said. He says, uh, verse Colossians 1, 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me. To present to you the word of God, notice, in its fullness. In its fullness. That's exactly what Jesus was saying. The Holy Spirit will come and he will testify about me. What will he testify? He will give them the word of God in its fullness. That much more Jesus is saying, I got to tell you. Well, what is that? If I go to the, I can't not read the next verse. It's Colossians 1.26. What is it? The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Yeah, that's it. That's what, that's exactly what it is. So thank you, Apostle Paul, for clarifying what we needed about what is that testimony. So this is all point B. He, he will testify to the disciples. Point C, the problem with the religious leaders, they hated Jesus who came in the name of Jesus. Uh, uh, he came in the name of the Father. Whoever hates me hates my Father. 
And what will the Spirit of Truth testify? He will give the much more information that Jesus did not finish. So he will guide them, notice in the next verse, into all truth. Not some, but all. So in other words, where they will fully know the height, the depth, the length, and the width. They will know fully everything there is to know about this truth, about this new plan. What is it? The mystery. <laughs> Made uh, hidden from ages and past generations. Uh, so this is John 16, 13, that we just read about. He will guide them into all truth. That's what he's going to testify about. Right? And then testify about me. Right? What about, this is point E, what about Christ will the Spirit testify? What about Christ? And we, we kind of already said, but Christ answers that question as well. He says, it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And this is literally the answer to this question. And it is answered by Jesus in these words, his own words. It is from me that he will receive what he has, will make known to you. Now, this is interesting that we don't take what the Holy Spirit has and say, wow, the Holy Spirit is smart. We, learn, we know this information because of the Holy Spirit. Well, you should know that this is coming from Christ. This is the balance of what um, Christ wanted to tell us. So he is telling us this information, but it is through the means of God the Holy Spirit, who is not just on the outside of us, but he is on the inside. So this is what is uh, kind of interesting, that uh, we're hearing from Christ. Now, yes, this is why the Holy Spirit has to take a back seat when it comes to the, um, the credit for this information. He, he will not speak on his own. Right, let's just finish reading. All that belongs to the Father um, is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So this is John 16, 14, and 15. And what we get from this is, is that the information that Jesus has was given to him by the Father. Now you could say, well, okay, so if the Father's the author of it all, but if he gave it all to Christ, now Christ is the author of it all. Yeah, that, that's how we ought to see it. But it came from the Father. So what do we to say? It's the Father's eternal purpose but it is now in christ so all that belongs to the father's mind that is why i said the spirit will receive from that what is me from me he didn't receive it from the father he receives it from christ and he will make it known to you so uh, all of this is the way it works in this is unique this is the method or the means of communication. Do you need to know all this information? I think you should. I think you should have an understanding of how this works. Where the information comes from. What is the information? I think you need to know. Because it, <coughs> it establishes <coughs> excuse me, new things about who we are in Christ. It helps us to know about our destiny 
our sonship, the adoption to sons, and how God is communicating and executing his plan. All right, so point number four is uh, the next verse, which says, And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So who is he talking about? First, first and foremost, we need to know, and that is the disciples, or who also became the apostles. And we have to include the Apostle Paul in this, because that is who God uh, called, even though one uh, abnormally born, meaning he, didn't, he wasn't with the disciples, he didn't walk around with Jesus, but Jesus appeared to him on a road to Damascus. So, so including the Apostle Paul, who would also testify, since they are a part of the foundation of the church, they were witnesses. If we look at John uh, 21, 24, uh, John says it, literally, John 21, 24, toward the end, he says, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know his testimony is true. It's funny how John uh, refers to himself in the second person. <laughs> but but, but in, in essence, what he's telling you is, I, I was there. I witnessed these things and I wrote them down. And what I'm telling you is the truth. Yeah. I like to read verse 25 too, if you don't mind. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. John using hyperbole here a little bit, I have to say, but in essence what he's saying is all of them are, there's no way we could have chronicled all the miraculous signs, wonders, and miracles that we witnessed that this person revealed to us. And that he doesn't even talk about the teaching that was out of this world. So John is testifying, hey, I'm a witness. And, and John is one of the disciples who later became one of the apostles. And um, that's who Jesus is directly talking about when he says, you must also testify. The, whole, the Holy Spirit is going to testify, and you must also testify. Point B, the testimony, the mystery revealed. What is the mystery? The revelation of the Father's eternal purpose. Right? This is what we read in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 3, and 4, where it's our objective in this world, not only to preach the gospel, right, that all men be saved, but then they, that they also come to the full knowledge of the truth. The epinosis is, means the full, the deep knowledge of the truth. That's our objective in this world. Just like Christ says, that the Holy Spirit will come, he will testify, and he will lead and guide us into all truth. That's important. So then you got Ephesians uh, 3, and I always look at this as Paul's testimony. Paul's a witness, and this is what he said, Ephesians 3, 7 through 9. Paul said, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than, uh, the, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles 
the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Now, this is Paul's witness. He's saying, I'm here for this. This is what I'm about. And if you sit down under my teaching, this is what you're going to get. This is, this, is, this is what it is about. This is the testimony. It's Paul. And this is what Jesus is saying. After the Holy Spirit has testified to you after Pentecost, then you must also testify. For you have been with me from the beginning. He's talking to those who know who he is, what his ways were, were who are confident and 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 uh, understanding who Jesus was. Right? There's no question about who Jesus is and, and the works that he performed. So um, that's what it is. It's the mystery, right? Revealed. That's what the testimony is. I'm hoping you can tie these things together in your theology. Point C. And we must testify. Well, how, how, not only did the disciples, uh, were they called upon to testify, but we are also who are those who believe on Christ through their message. We are called upon to testify as well. And what is our testimony, right? Well, and it, the thing is, you got to know, right? You can't testify if you don't know. If you're not sure what is truth, this all truth, you can't testify. You're, you're not equipped, like Paul says, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. If you don't know that, you can't be part of the testimony. But, you know, the fact that you all are here, and we've been talking about this, this is our conversation. And then I would say, yeah, you know. You, you know about the Father's eternal plan. And, and now you are an ambassador of Christ. And what is, we talk about ambassador of Christ, minister, I'm going to turn to 2 Corinthians 18, uh, 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. So here's where we called upon. So just to know, everything hinges on this one verse in 17, which is a concluding verse. It's therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's key right there. In Christ, a, the new creation has come. Old things have, are gone. Uh, the new is here. Remember we are talking about old and new, right? And here we got new, which is never before seen type of new. And verse 18, all this is from God. Obviously it has to be. It can't be from man because these are things that there's... No eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. So all of these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and this is through our salvation, and gave us, get, get this, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what Paul is calling this, because we are bringing those who he chose from the foundation of the world, back to God, right? This God chose us, but then we came through Adam and the world, and then we came to understand, and then we are reconciled to God. It's literally full circle. So 
he gave us this ministry of reconciliation. And what is it that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them? And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In other words, how do we bring people God chose from eternity past back to Christ or, or through Christ? It is the gospel, right? The ministry, we have the ministry of reconciliation. This is why we have two things that are important to us. One, that all men be saved. That's the first thing. And two, to come to the knowledge of the truth about who we are in Christ. We are ambassadors. We are therefore, verse 20, Christ's ambassadors. We, and this goes back to verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, new creation has come. And he has gave us this ministry. So we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. That's our job in this world. And how do we, what do we lead with? Oh, telling people that there's this mystery and that they were chosen in him before the time began and that they are adopted as sons. And no, that's not what we lead with. We are ministers of reconciliation. We assist God, the Holy Spirit, in getting people to be reconciled to God. And after that, then God, the Holy Spirit, is responsible to testify to them and to through the ministry of uh, the filling of the Spirit. So all of this is part of what is important to God as far as we are concerned. How not only he says, you must testify, you have been with me from the beginning, but I'm saying in point number C that we us in this 2021 must testify. We need to be about our Father's business. We need to be ambassadors, ministry, ministers of reconciliation. Point D. So Jesus chose the 12, and their calling was to establish the way. And it's interesting that uh, that's what the early church was called, if you look in the book of Acts they were called the way. And here it is, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. You know, that's Ephesians 1, 4. And the disciples are included in that. He chose them to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. And then Acts 1, 8 as well says, um, it says, but now, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that this is what Jesus is telling the disciples just before the Holy Spirit comes. Witnesses. Uh, he didn't mention the United States. But that's where we are. But that's certainly uh, included in and to the ends of the earth. We are witnesses. And what are we to witness? Are we just say, oh, God is good. Hallelujah. Let me tell you about what happened. I just got this new job. No, that's not the witness that we're supposed to give. 
our witness is specific here when it talks about and you also must witness i'm telling you you must witness and this is what you ought to be about as well point e is our last point the disciples personally witnessed the signs the wonders and the miracles of christ the father confirmed to these jews his new direction and just think about it they were jews no clue and in fact Everything within them would resist anything that would not be in accordance with the law, the Mosaic law. Everything about them. So this is what Jesus said. He says, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Literally, that's Matthew 16, 18. And... uh, they saw it, right? They had the confidence of walking with Jesus and seeing him on a daily basis, getting to know who he was, watching the way he worked, uh, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, seeing the wisdom that came from him. And those are the people who became the foundation of this church that Christ said he would build and that the gates of Hades would not overcome it. So we stand on that foundation today. It's solid. It's sure. There's nothing that you have to worry about in terms of its veracity or validity. What we have in this age is something that is unprecedented, never before seen. I mean, God has entered into this new phase of, of his plan where he is calling out those many sons into glory. We're not here to teach the Mosaic Law. We're not here to teach some Gentile thinking or philosophy. We're here to teach what God has given us through the testimony of the Spirit of Truth, leading and guiding us into all truth. We will stop today. Next week, we'll do a quick review of John chapter 15, and we may touch John 16. We'll we'll see how it goes. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of John chapter 15. What rich analogies, what rich metaphors you gave us. You are, Christ is the vine. We are the branches, and you expect fruit from us in this world. It is certainly appropriate for you to have expectations that we come to understand the calling that we have received and to walk worthy of it. We thank you for those who are in the sound of my voice and have understood. They, they know what you are saying. They have connected the theological dots and they see what their calling is. Father, I'm praying for them. I'm not just praying for them, but those who are in the church universal, whatever country they may be in, wherever they may be in this world, that we will have a united message to the world, and that we will fulfill the purpose for which you have called us. Thank you again for Jesus Christ, who sacrifices very life for us, who gave himself for us. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.